Mojo. Ah, yes, here it is. Got your mojo working. Pizzazz, oomph, zest, passion, energy, vibe. ACDC, the Mojo Radio Show. Hey, that can't be right. I got my mojo working. Hey everybody and welcome to or welcome back to the Mojo Radio Show. Welcome back. Welcome aboard the Big Red Bus. If you are new on the bus, what do we do here on this little program? Well, it turns out that over the years we have attracted a wide variety, wide collection of interesting people who all have a point of view who cover as I said a wide variety of topics actually, but they have something in common. They've either got an opinion or they know something that can help us get our mojo working. They've done it, and we want to do it, and they know how to do it, so we ask them, how do we do it? And then we apply it to our own world to get our own mojo working. That's what it's all about. Another cracking show ahead. A different format this week. We've sort of stepped outside of what we'd normally do, just uh, as a little bit of an experiment. Before we start, if you like what is happening here on the Mojo Radio Show, how about knocking out a one-liner and set it up on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whichever way you look at it. It will take you all of 60 seconds to click through, type a few words, send it, and if for no other reason, it just lets us know you're there and your view on the show, throw us a bone. Uh, And speaking of bones, AP's AP's pretty good on the bone. Indeed. If you're talking about uh, T-bone, I'm excellent on the T-bone. Talking about knocking out a one-liner, that had a different meaning back in AP's radio days. No, I'm talking a T-bone. The crew's (laughs) all here. Um, Speaking of which, AP, are you still in lockdown? If you talk about wearing PVC underwear, yes, I am. You're loving it, aren't you? Of PVC underwear is just uh, my weekend attire. (laughs) Locked away in his little booth there in the dark. This Dan Murphy telephone account. Case of champagne in the corner. (laughs) Contactless delivery to the studio. Just leave it at the door, mate. Uh, And I'm Lola. I'm guessing you were never locked down. You've always, you've never been locked up. It's in my programming. You can't keep me down. Lola's always getting down. She's not getting locked up. She's getting, she's getting down. She's getting down. Robbo's Remarkable Facts. Let's go. Uh, We're going to go with a bit of an endurance theme this week with the Remarkable Fact. In particular, the Guinness Book of Records holder for the longest bath in a box of ice cubes. The record of 115 minutes, believe it or not, belongs to Jin Song Hao, who broke the record on live TV dressed in just a pair of shorts and a baseball cap. He immersed himself up to his neck in a bath of ice. Jin was on a challenge show called Challenge the Impossible back in 2017, and after breaking his own record of 113 minutes and 10 seconds, Jin had this to say. He said, after 113 minutes... I felt cold and it was hard to speak properly. The host asked me whether I wanted to give up, but I was there to smash the record, so I gripped my teeth and held on for two more minutes. And in a nod to the Mojo Radio Show, Jim killed the last 60 seconds of his challenge drinking a nice cold beer, as you do when you're in a a nice bath. But there you go. Well done, Jim. Wow. (laughs) Is it a record worth pursuing? Absolutely. This is the Mojo Radio Show. I've got to say, I reckon last week's show with Carl Maynard, who was a congenital amputee, no arms below the elbows, no legs below the knees, but how that guy approaches his life and the honesty he brought from the show, I think that is an absolute keeper. Yeah, it was killer, wasn't it? 
Absolutely killer. I mean, I'm, I sort of get to listen to these things two or three times when you edit them. And um, wow, takeouts plus. And there were, I think, something I mentioned to a few people last week, I was doing a virtual keynote uh, to some people as a hundred and... 130, 140-odd CEOs who tuned in on Zoom, which is what the kids are doing today. And one of the things that I credited Kyle on after doing that show was that, that statement. He said, where dreams, the dreams you have can lead you to dreams that you could not have foreseen. And I think it's really powerful for us to talk to our kids about is that even though you have a dream, you may not get that exact dream but by pursuing the dream and having them could take you to somewhere else that you wouldn't have seen had you not started taking the time to dream. And I don't know, I thought that was really quite profound to reinforce what we've talked about a lot on the show in seven seasons. And the other thing I thought was very cool is that even though you've got that dream and it does seem a long way away, just just worry about the next three feet. The next, the three-foot philosophy I thought was absolutely gold. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And something else that I I thought, I think he got quite a little emotive, a little emotional during that period is the why, why would you do that? Why keeps you going? So it's three foot at a time. But that story about he stopped one night and he was only halfway up the mountain, up Kilimanjaro, mm. and he said, I'm broken, I'm busted. I don't know if I can go on. And he thought about why, which is Corey Johnson, the private in the US Army, who was killed in Afghanistan. And he said to his mum, I'll take his ashes to the top. And then he said, next day when I woke up, I climbed faster and stronger than any of the previous days. I don't know, these things just to me, just just really reinforce the power of the stuff we talk about, which is going back to Black Rifle Coffee Company, mission first, not me first. All these things thread in. And do you know the other... The other thing that I've been pondering a lot is his parents' approach and their dialogue with him since the day he was born. Mm. And that whole thing about we're never going to treat you as somebody with a condition, you're a normal kid, making it hard for him, making it uncomfortable for him. But he said a number of times that through that discomfort, he grew into the man he is today. And he's an incredible, incredible guy. We've got to be so careful with that dialogue that we as parents, those, are, those who are fortunate enough to be parents or have influence on kids, whether it be a footy team, a school teacher, somebody driving the school bus, parents, grandparents, godparents, that language, man, I think that's a really good example of how important it is. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's something we've talked about on this show a million times and, and I'm sure it's a story I've told before about you know, parents on the sideline watching their kids when I'm coaching rugby and from either side, either team. And they say things that I'm sure they don't mean to have a barb attached, but you hear it from the sideline and you go, really, you're saying that? <laughs> so, you know, it's, mm. it, it's so easy to do, even if you have the best intentions that, you know, it can not come out the right way, I suppose. If you've jumped into the Mojo Radio Show and you haven't listened to the last episode with Kyle Maynard. He wrote a book called No Excuses. It's really worth going back and listening to and it's worth saving on podcasts because it's a cracker you'll want to go back to. And we finished the show with an, with an excerpt from the book and he said, excuses give us a reason to explain to other people 
why we are too weak to deal with a particular problem, regardless of the size or the importance of the matter. And I think that really summed up the show. It sums up him, the book. But gee, I tell you what, he got raw with it. He uh, even said to us, you know, after the show, he went to some places he actually hadn't even thought of himself, which was was pretty profound. And ah. um, it kind of leads us into this show. This this week's show is something different, but we're going into discomfort, resilience, and grit. But all all the different ways you can approach that, because we talk about having no limbs and climbing mountains, and we talk about people being in prison. They're all things. They're they're, they're extremes. But on the other side of that, there are little things we can do every day that help build that grit and resilience. And one of our good mates of the show, do you recall Logan Gelbrick? How could I forget old Logs? Logs in his gym, hey? Yeah, down at the beach. She's got the Deuce Gym down there at Venice, which we will have to go into a show live from one yes, day. I once think the, so. <laughs> once the ports open up again. Uh. But he's been a regular guest on the show, and he was the author of a book called Going Right, which was an excellent book. Do you recall Logan talking to us about discomfort? Mm. And his the book was written about that, and mm. he talks with that. We had him on with Ryan Munns. He talked about from discomfort comes growth. And we also discussed that it can be mental discomfort. So it can be having an uncomfortable conversation is a way to grow. Learning something new can be a way to help yourself grow. <laughs> What's interesting is... This is one I thought you and AP would love, that even having a lunch with a stranger (laughs) is a way to grow. AP is usually having a lunch with strangers. That's because he gets up to go off somewhere and then comes back and sits down at the wrong table. (laughs) (laughs) Very funny, Robbo, but it's usually your table. No, what's really really funny, and folks, you can't see this, but AP is in the voiceover booth right now. And he's currently putting in, what was his name? Ging Ho, ice bath guy, <laughs> to try and line him up to go to Chinatown for some dim sims. Yeah, that's the one. Exactly. He's like, I think he's actually ordering Uber Eats. Well, I thought I might get in contact with him to get some iced pubes for your gin and tonic to drink with your dim sims. Anyway, so this week I was sent a new book. It was called A Hundred Lunches with Strangers by a young girl called Kaylee Chu. Now, Kaylee Chu is a young, shy Chinese girl, moved to Australia, but there was a point in her life where she decided that something had to change and she wanted to push herself to accomplish something that would really stretch her. So she decided to arrange 100 lunches by reaching out to strangers on LinkedIn. So she basically writes them on LinkedIn and say, hey, this is what I, this is the challenge I've set myself. How about we have lunch together? Now, What's curious about this is that when when she finished the challenge, she realized that she not only had those lunches, but her confidence had grown. And from that, it actually transformed every aspect of her world, as you'll you'll hear when we catch up with her. And she decided to write a book about it. So I read the book. She's now up to 230 lunches. And of course, you know, during this time, she's now arranging virtual lunches. But it's a real-life example of how finding something simple yet really uncomfortable can push us in ways that we couldn't imagine. I found this whole experiment fascinating. So I called up Kelly to have a quick chat about how she did it and the impact she's had on her world. Thank you for having me today. (laughs) You've got a fascinating story. Today, if somebody walks up to you who doesn't know you and asks you what you do, how do you describe it today? 
I have lunch with strangers <laughs> and I help other people to transform their lives by having lunch with strangers. And this is, we're going to discuss your book in just a second, but what I'm curious about is that you were born and raised in Hong Kong, you move out to Australia for university, and for a lot of those years, you felt really uncomfortable in Australia and you were forced to adopt basically a a new foreign language. How did your background impact how you lived in Australia in the early days? Um, I guess I'm just very self-conscious that English is not my first language and I I don't look Aussie like I'm total Asian. Asian. (laughs) Um, I just live in my little bubble and I only hang out with immigrants from Hong Kong, only, you know, just do all the, I, I, I don't think it's unusual, but just do all the immigrant things, you know. <laughs> you, it's funny because you built this expectation in your own mind that people would think less of you and not even really appreciate your own ability. And that, a lot of that came back to having an accent coming from Hong Kong. But you said during the book that then you realised how wrong you were. How were those perceptions in your own mind holding you back? Oh, a lot. Like because of all my self-limiting belief, thinking that people would judge me or just lack of confidence in general. I refuse to try new things. I don't even have one Australian friend, which is bizarre because I live in Australia for like 12 years. And that just starts to affect my life and affect my career. And I'm just not progressing in life. It's funny. The reason that when Scott wrote to me and said, you know, Carly's got a new book and would you like to have a chat? The thing that is really interesting with this is that we've had a couple of themes through the show over seven seasons. One is resilience, which I'll talk about in a second, but the other is identity. And this just seems like an angle on identity that we haven't really ever spoken about. Because if, if you take that time of you moving to this country, you it seems you had an identity built on being... Asian. And I guess what I'm curious about is going through this exercise of having a hundred lunches with a hundred strangers. How how have you changed your core identity as a result of these lunches? How did you see yourself and how do you see yourself today? Wow, this is actually a very good angle. I've never thought of that from the identity perspective because I think you're probably right because um, I just like to classify myself as an international student, as an immigrant, as um, and I even call Australian them, you know, us and them. <laughs> so mm. I guess, yeah, that's definitely right that I had that identity to myself that I'm still, you know, people from Hong Kong and people ask me where I'm from, I tell them I'm from Hong Kong. Um, but now after 100 lunches with strangers, um, actually it's more like 250 now, but the, by the time <laughs> I published the book, um, 100 lunches with strangers, I feel like, yeah, you know, everyone's very similar. We all have our own story and it's more like us instead of me and them, if that makes sense to you. In mm. fact, to an extent that um, – you know, whenever I met someone, usually when, you know, in the last few years or before that, when people ask me where you're from, I always say Hong Kong. And earlier this year, I went to America with my family just for holiday and they asked me where I'm from. And instead of saying Hong Kong, I tell them I'm from Melbourne, Australia. So I kind of feel like 
I'm more part of the Australian now and I start to see myself as an Australian as my identity. So that's actually a great point that I've never thought of. <laughs> how do you how do you see yourself now? Because the book is fascinating because and there was a comment in the book you said I was very you said I I used to be really, really, really shy. And a lot of that came back to this identity you had about being Asian and being an immigrant. That was the identity then. How would you describe your identity today? So say Robbo is number 251 as a lunch, you sit down. How do you see yourself today sitting across the table from Robbo as opposed to what it used to be like in those early days, days of the first lunches? I think in the early days, I thought I am who I am. Like I'm shy. That's why I'm always shy and I don't talk to people and that's just who I am. And now I just feel like now if, you know, it doesn't have to be always like that. I can change. I can, I can do better and I can, you know, be not as shy as I used to be and I can talk to people <laughs> if I want to. So that mm. absolutely makes big, big, big difference in my life, just in terms of the confidence level and how I see myself more importantly. Yeah. Is it a pizza lunch, Gary? (laughs) I had lots of pizzas during those lunches. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you'd be going a bit of sweet and sour pork, mate, or something like that. Some dim sims. A couple of dim, (laughs) a few wontons. Dimmies. A couple of dimmies. Or Chico Chico roll, actually. There you go. There's my weapon of choice. Suddenly Robbo's come to life. As soon as I went, food, Takeaway, sitting, free lunch. Robo's like, oh, go. this is a good interview. Let's go. Let's divvies. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me something. Uh, this is just something I was pondering before getting online with you, Kaylee. How big an impact did your parents have on influencing you with that identity and your beliefs? Did How big an impact did your parents have on you going, this is what an Asian girl does, this is what an Asian girl is all about? Um, wow, good question. You asked lots of questions that no one else asked me before. That's interesting. Um, I don't know. I have never thought too much about things. I think because as an Asian culture, Asian background, I don't know if you know much, but we don't think too much. <laughs> For me, mm. um, parents sent me to Australia to study. I don't even think about what subjects I choose. Like commerce is like the automatic choice (laughs) Um, because that's what all Asian parents want the kids to do, commerce, so that we learn about business and make money, you know. And then after graduation, it just, again, without thinking too much what I want in life or what's my plans in the future, I just go into financial planning field because that's just the right path. And I don't know. I think my parents just, yeah, they they, they they remind me sometimes just about who I am and I should eat rice at dinner, for example. No, it's just, it, it's, it's just something in terms of a takeaway for people that the impact that parents have on the identity and how that identity can move with you to a different country of the world. And I think it's really brave of you to take on this process of having a hundred lunches with a hundred strangers. But I just think that a lot of this, this illustrates the resilience and stepping out of your comfort zone, which I'll get to in a second, but also the impact it has on 
how you see yourself because many people carry these backstories. Now, whether it be from the environment they're in, as you said, the people that you surround yourself with or the impact that parents could have. And we've had that that story come through the show before. And I was just curious because I think it's I think what you've done, there's actually a lot of thought can be taken from it to for people to apply their own world. The other thing I was curious about is you said that we've talked so far about you changing your own personal identity and your own perception of yourself when you sat down at the table. In the book, you talked about the fact that you then noticed that other people's perceptions of you changed, that at the start of the 100 lunch journey, the strangers regarded you as being almost an object of pity. But by the end, and particularly now, they're seeing you as a strong, successful business person with a network that they want in their network, that where you can work together. When you think back on that, Tell me about that transition from where it used to be that object of pity right through to where it is today. Let me just give you an example. When I first started the 100 Lunches journey, I sent a whole bunch of invitations, but the rejections rate's more like 90%, if not more. People either ignore me or tell me that, no, I'm not interested. And slowly the, you know, the acceptance rate gets higher and higher and higher. Now I'll say close to 100%. People would say yes to have lunch with me or more, more often than not, they just invite me out for lunch. So I do think that the perception from other people change, but exactly how I don't, I don't know how to explain that. When you were so shy and you really, I mean, it's commendable how much you stepped out of your comfort zone to do this which you illustrate through the book, how did you handle the rejections? Because that's one thing that most people would be very fearful of is that I send these things, I either get ghosted or I get the, hey, you're a psycho, why would I want to have lunch with you? (laughs) But you get a lot of rejections, yet you managed, even though you were shy and completely out of your comfort zone, you managed to get through that period. What, what was going on in your mind? How did you handle those rejections? The first time I sent out 30 invitations really helped me because while 27 people said no, there are three people actually said yes. So those three people helped me start the journey that I can't go back because they all said, like, you know, those three people said yes. And I guess I just need to focus on the people saying yes and ignore the rest. That's what I did because I couldn't, because I, at the time I reached a point where I thought I had to change. I can't live like that anymore because I had a really, really embarrassing meeting that I couldn't talk to a client for two hours. Like no one word was spoken in the entire two-hour meetings. And and then my boss had a conversation with me and said, Kayla, you got to do something. And I really thought if I don't do something now to change, I mean, you know, but that was two years ago, but at that moment – then I probably lose my job. I probably, you know, set a really bad example for my kids and I really don't know how to move ahead in life that no matter what happens, you know, this is the goal that I set and I had to keep going. This is, it's funny, most people won't do this. And what I was thinking about is this is a really great story of resilience and grit. Now, normally through the show we talk to, people in the military or extreme athletes or people who started a business. And that's the typical thing about getting uncomfortable and being resilient and being gritty. But I reckon just sending out 30 invites to strangers saying, come and have lunch with me. That is such 
a great angle on resilience, grit, determination. Did that, at this time when you sent out those first 30 invitations, were you a determined person or a resilient person in any other parts of your life? I remember that day that I sent 30 invitations in one go because I was really determined to to do that um, at that very moment. Um, am I a you know resilient person in other area? Mm, I really have to think about that. I guess um, maybe I graduated from university. That kind of means that I <laughs> submitted all the assignments on time. <laughs> I, <laughs> I just don't have many other chances to test my resilience, luckily. Um, so... I don't know. Like I said, I just live in an autopilot. I just go to work, come home, do things. My life has been quite smooth, um, touch wood. Let, you know, nothing really, really bad happened to me. So, so I just don't know. Maybe I always thought like that. I really don't know. So let's get down to the logistics of it. You send out these 30 invites. I'd be concerned about where do I go for lunch? What, what's the right environment? How did you pick? Did you have a, a favorite venue you took everybody to? Did you ask them to pick? Did you how, how did you decide where to go? And number two is was there a set idea you had about how long this lunch should go for or what should be on the menu? Like what was your thinking? Was there a plan or did it just did you just wing it? I'd say I just wing it, but I was lucky because I worked in the city, um, so there are plenty of options nearby. I don't never short of options, so I usually just ask the guests, "What do you like to eat? Do you want to have, you know, um, pasta, Chinese, mm. Korean, Japanese? What's your favorite?" And then we'll just pick somewhere in between our workplace, and it's usually not that hard because a lot of people work in the city, and I work in the city, and there are lots of lunch specials nearby. So that's how we how we do it. And in terms of time, I never set myself a time limit on how long the lunch would be, but I'd say most of them, majority of them will be between like 45 minutes to an hour and 15 minutes or something around that. But by saying Mm. that, my longest lunch so far was four and a half hours. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Was that Yamcha? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, it's just we had such a great conversation. That was really interesting because there was a lady that I had lunch with. Um, we had absolutely nothing in common in terms of background or family or cultural background, industry background, like absolutely nothing in common. Um, if we met in a party or something, I'm sure that neither of us will approach each other to talk. But when we started mm. talking, we can't stop and it was just an interesting fun conversation because I remember um, she's got a psychology background and a coaching background and we were talking about how to use her techniques or skills in psychology to not manipulate but how to influence my husband better. <laughs> that was part of the conversation <laughs> I remember. Ah. <laughs> See in Australia we call that women's talk. <laughs> uh, maybe yeah and then we just talk and talk and I think that's a beautiful lunch like if the conversation's horrible which rarely 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 happens you can just have a quick bite and finish in 20 minutes if you want to and if the conversation's so great that you can have you know coffee and dessert and another wine and just keep going for a long 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 time did you learn say you're 50 or 60 lunches deep into this thing, did you learn to take with you 
uh, conversation starters or particular questions? Did you start to find it helped you going to these lunches prepared as opposed to the first couple where you kind of sat down and didn't know what to do or where to go? To be honest, I think I do the opposite. Um, when I first started, I have a lot of questions in my head. I even Google what questions should I ask people and do a lot of research on on you know on my lunch guest and um, because I was scared of dead air. You know, I don't like to have you know those weird moments when no one talks. Um, I don't know, but now I don't do much. Like I know a little bit information about my guests. I know roughly what they do, but I don't plan anymore. I just go, thanks for coming to have lunch with me. And that's the only thing that I plan to say. And if anything else, just go with the flow and let the guests talk whatever in their mind, sometimes about their work, sometimes about their holiday, about the family or something completely unrelated, just a weird thought in their head. And we just talk about that. So um, I think that helps with the conversation a lot better instead of a planned conversation. Something you talk about in the book is you went in with zero expectations. You weren't trying to sell anybody. You weren't trying to get business. You just wanted to basically make yourself uncomfortable, meet people and have a pleasant lunch. That zero expectations, how important was that, do you think, in getting people to initially say yes? And then when they get there, actually realize it's legit. There were no expectations. It was just to have a nice lunch. How important was that part for you, Kaylee? Uh, extremely important, I think, <laughs> um, because I think people are very smart. Like if we try to use that as an excuse to sell people something, people would pick it up very quickly and they just don't like you. You know, you're just wasting other people's time if you want to sell them something be upfront or you know just say it and um I don't know because I, I personally had one bad experience before and I really don't like that I think this is the whole spirit of 100 lunches I know that there are a lot of other people doing 100 lunches at the moment they start to go okay oh, really? I want to have strangers yeah um and that's something that i want to really make it clearly please don't use that as an excuse to sell whatever you want to sell <laughs> because yeah, yeah. that just ruined it everybody else doing it um we just be there to meet someone hear their story make a connections don't get me wrong sometimes sales happen like i i'm not trying to sell but sometimes you know, because people know what you're doing and they engage with your service and I engage with my lunch care service. It happens, but never, ever make it the first priority. Like that's just really, really bad. <laughs> it's when you think back to moving from Hong Kong to Australia and being in amongst your own Asian community and friends, it seems you're quite introverted, yet Going to lunches with strangers for a normal introvert would be so uncomfortable. And they, in fact, I don't think it'd even be on their radar. Do you, do, how do you see, do you, do you classify yourself as still being an introvert? Are you an extrovert? Like where does that sit in your own mind? To be honest, sometimes I still prefer sitting, you know, at home. Like this lock whole lockdown thing, I think bothered me less than a lot of other people because I have no problem staying home and doing not much or spending mm -hmm. time. <laughs> you know, just on my own and do my own things. But being an introverted person or a shy person doesn't mean that we don't talk to people. It's always great to have the confidence and the skills, the soft skills to engage and 
with other people and the communication skills. And that's just so important in life in so many aspects, even not only talking about strangers, just improve communication skills helps me with my family, how I talk to my husband, how I talk to my kids. That's just a great skills to have that, you know, everybody, if you can, um, you know, better communication skills. So It's funny. Uh, I've looked at your Instagram feed and there's a photo of you skydiving. And I heard you say that this has now changed the way, it's a new way of you seeing yourself. And you now have this new courage. And because of these 100 lunches, which is now 250-odd, you now have actually tried stand-up comedy, which would have to be one of the scariest things that any introvert could do, let alone person in general do. It just seems like this, this idea of 100 lunches with strangers has completely opened up a door for you that you're prepared to step through. Tell me that journey of going from this little shy girl who was really, really, really shy to now skydiving and doing stand-up comedy, for goodness sakes. Tell me, tell me about that journey. I think it takes time, one step at a time. Um, it was 2018's res- New Year resolution when I did those lunches. So if you told me two years ago that I'm going to do a stand-up comedy, I'll be like, you're, you're mad, like you're absolutely crazy. There's no way I could do anything like that. But I started to have lunch with strangers, which was absolutely terrifying for me at the beginning, but slowly it becomes comfortable and I absolutely love to have lunch with strangers at the moment. I'll do it every single day. Um, And then it's the same thing. You just, for me, I just start to have, you know, lunch with more than one person afterwards, like one lunch just brought a friend with him um, one day and then I was fine. And then after that, I start to go to networking events and have conversation with a lot of strangers and I start to feel okay about that and after that I start to get on stage and read a script like be an MC for for an event host an event and after that I start to share my story on stage and be a keynote speaker and just slowly and slowly one step at a time my comfort zone expanded and that's how I start to do more things that's used to be way outside of my comfort zone. But by saying that, when I first time got on the stage to do stand-up comedy, it's still terrifying, um, but it's at least manageable. It's not something that's completely, you know, crazy. I think it's really interesting. I I think this whole exercise is very interesting on so many levels. Um, You talked about the fact that the lunches gave you a sneak peek into other people's lives, which I think is, it's just, it's it's a very curious angle that there are no expectations, but if you go into it with the only expectation is you want to actually learn about other people, you said it gave you a sneak peek into other people's lives, and then you could say to yourself, is that what I want? How, how has that played out in your life? Were there things you saw that you actually kind of liked that you have included in your life? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Like a lot of activities that I've done or things that I've tried, I've never thought of. They're inspired by my my lunch guests. In fact, even skydiving, I've never thought of doing that. It was from one of my lunch guests, which is so interesting because he's a cancer survivor. Um, His story is fascinating. Mm -hmm. And he told me that he did skydiving on his 50th birthday. And then that was where the inspiration come from. They go, okay, okay, on my 30th birthday, I want to do skydiving too. And that's how it started. So, yeah, absolutely. They gave me so much inspiration all the time, um, my lunch guests. And 
and, and I guess because, like I said, my life lived in the, like the autopilot before. I just never had a chance to do much reflections in my life. So now just get me lots of opportunities to reflect on what I like, what I don't like, what do I want, and yeah, just just that. There was a lovely line that I think was in the book or I heard you say. You said you thought about how many times that I've given up on things just because I believed I wasn't good enough to achieve them. That seems like an old belief system you had. Can you think of things in your past that you didn't think you were good enough for and gave up on that today you wouldn't? Uh, so many opportunities that I gave up on. For example, I like my entire university, um, uni life, I felt like I could have done so much more. I basically, I go to school, I did my assignments and I stay home and watch Netflix and <laughs> do nothing else and Candy Crush. This is just a sad life. I could have done a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could have done volunteering. I could have met a lot of people because in uni there are a whole bunch of people from different culture, from all sort of different countries, and I could have met them by you know at that time. But I decide to not to and just stay home and just hang out with a couple of friends that's from Hong Kong. And I don't know mm. opportunities everywhere, like literally everywhere. If I try to find them, but I just close up myself and do nothing. <laughs> it's just a time that's, I don't want to say it's wasted, but it's kind of wasted. Tim Ferriss was having a conversation with Esther Perel on his show, The Tim Ferriss Show. And he talked about the fact that when you write to a podcast guest, there are certain elements that need to be included in that approach that lets that person know that you're legit. And it's something I've taken on board when we are finding guests for our show. There's actually, I think there's a, there's something, the things are important to write to let people know that it's legit. And I also think that there's the follow-up because quite often you get ghosted first time around. So there's the follow-up script that you need to be thinking about how would you approach them a second time. With that being said, did you have a script, the first 30 and then the following 70 of that 100 lunches, did you have a script that you used through LinkedIn? Did you have a script to follow up if nobody, if people ghosted you or didn't, like ghosted you and not replied, did you have a script to follow up? I don't want to call it a script, but I do have a template that I use. Um, yeah, it's very okay. similar every time. It will be like, hi, this is Kaylee. This is my new year resolutions to have lunch with 100 interesting people, 100 strangers. And I, because of what you've done and, you know, I'll, I'll name them. You've achieved this. You got this award or you're that, you're that. Then I love to have lunch with mm -hmm. you. Um, and this is a little bit information about me. So some of them would be from a template. Other things I just need to change little things around. Um Two, three, four times is not unusual. I remember I had my 200th lunch guest was Shane Jacobson and that lunch took me at least maybe five or six attempts, if not more, to get it locked in. <laughs> so just keep trying, keep going. Big question for you, Kaylee. Show 200, Shane Jacobson. There's a guy who knows his way around a buffet. Uh, is there any chance that number 251 for lunch could be Robbo? Would you be interested now, now I got a caveat. Absolutely. You said to. <laughs> 250 interesting people. So he's not that interesting, but boy, does he know his way around. I was going to say, is there a buffet involved? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 
So can we set this up and Robbo can take a microphone along? How about lunch with Robbo for two fifty one? He'll pay because he eats a lot. It'll be it'll be quite a tab. You'd take Lofty, Lofty Fulton, the voice of MasterChef. You'd take him along yeah, to narrate the whole thing. <laughs> I'll go. <laughs> No, no, seriously. I'll go. If Robbo's paying, I'm there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that would be, wouldn't that be fun? That'd be a great show to there do. We should do that. Uh, Carly, final thing before we let you get back to your busy day. Um, something this is, which is absolutely beautiful is you're donating all the proceeds from the book 100 Lunches to an eye charity. Why, why this charity and what's the plan? Um, to be honest, I just resonate with them because I feel sorry for people who can't see. Like, it's just one of the most important organs in our life. And by just donating $34 at the moment, you can help someone to restore their eyesight. I can't even think about a more meaningful way to spend $34, which is just, you know, at the cost of a lunch. Um, that's why I picked them. So the charity, the charity is Gift of Sight, is that right? And what's the mission for you? Uh, one million people. I want to help restore eyesight for one million people because the sad reality is that um, nine out of ten people who who can't see, um, the conditions is preventable or curable and that's just a sad, sad, sad reality. So I want to help change, not everybody, but make a difference in the world. So the... The charity is Gift of Sight. I will put a link to it in the show notes for anybody who wants to help somebody's uh, eyesight. It's through Everyday Hero. It's a, a beautiful initiative, and all the proceeds from the book are going to – and there's, there are some really interesting people in this book that you've met with, like Shane Jacobson's and billionaires, and it's quite a fascinating list of people that, as you got the confidence to approach these higher performers – in the end, they were introducing you to other people. So you've gone from the book's about 100, but you're now at 250, Robbo's 251. Uh, where do people go to find the book, Kylie? Where, where's the hub for everything about you, the book, your 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 speaking? Where's the hub? They can just Google my name or Google 100 Lunches or the easiest way just come to my website, which is kaleychu.com, K-A-L-E-Y-C-H-U.com. All right, everybody, this is Jason Overcome Redman. I may have survived an Al-Qaeda ambush in Iraq, but it was even harder to survive the Mojo Radio Show. I thought that that was a challenge that you and AP would be happily take on. Well, oddly enough, AP was talking to me in my headphones through that interview. He thought that she was having 100 lunches in the same day. <laughs> <laughs> so I, yeah, he's going, lightweight. Yeah, exactly. What do you mean? Only 100? <laughs> I've had lunch with 100 strangers. Really? It was at my wedding. <laughs> <laughs> but in that, you know, there are a couple of takeouts that I think are really key. And the first is we talked to Kyle last week about the how is really important. But then we uncovered, when you start talking about mission first, the why is really important. So you've got to put the why together with the how. But what Kaylee talked about, and the book kind of identifies, is the where is also important, that her identity was impacted simply by moving from Hong Kong to Melbourne. And I wonder whether the same thing would happen when you move a job or when you move apartments or you move houses, let alone moving a country. But it's curious. You hear this, I'm starting over, it's a fresh start. I wonder whether that has a big impact on 
identity, because it certainly did for Kaylee. The other thing that I took from it is to focus on the yeses. And that was really interesting. She said she got 27 no's, but she chose to focus on the three yeses. Because <laughs> she could have given up, which I think a lot of people would have gone, this is ridiculous. This is just not working. And I suspect the first couple would have been were un- very uncomfortable for her and a bit lame. But she pushed on. Now she's up at 2.30 and she's hanging out with billionaires and TV celebrities. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the interesting thing for me is, I mean, I love the fact that she focused on the yeses. But for me, and I think back to a similar situation when I was trying to get into radio back when I was 18, 19, 20, and constantly back in those days, writing letters to radio stations looking for work and always getting that return mail going, look, sorry, nothing at the moment, blah, blah, blah. But for me back then it was, well, what can I learn from the no's? Like what, what's in those letters that, it, what are they saying to me? Is it just the lack of experience? Is it just there's no job going at the moment? Do I need to do something else first? Blah, blah, blah. So the other thing you could also take from that similar situation is what are the no's telling me, right? Yeah, absolutely could be. I mean, I think the, the, the profound thing for Kaylee, and I think these are some of the things that perhaps she hadn't even thought about, is she said she was terrified. Mm. And that is so profound when you are a shy, self-described shy Chinese girl who hangs out with her friends, same nationality, and then she starts talking and then going and sitting in front of a stranger knowing, I'm going to be here for at least an hour. And her words were, I was terrified, then I became comfortable. Mm. And as I said in the setup to that catch-up with Kaylee, what's really cool is that by doing that, whether it's being in the supermarket, not getting a trolley and holding baskets and not putting the baskets down to get the checkout, <laughs> whether it's having a cold shower, whether it's reading a book or going to the theatre of things you would never think to do that you know you've got to strap yourself in for. All that stuff is the stuff that the more you take it on, the more it becomes the norm and you become okay with it. And now she's skydiving. Now she's doing stand-up comedy, for goodness sakes. I mean, it really, this is, a, this is a great little story about how it's changed her world from something as simple as getting on LinkedIn, talking to somebody you don't know, and doing something. And I just think it's a really good story. This is the Mojo Radio Show. So to bring this little shindig home, this is LeBron James who's done a new piece for Nike and I will put a link to this clip. You'll find it easily on YouTube. It's called Nike, Never Too Far Down, You Can't Stop Us. No one's ever come back from 3-1. An agonising defeat. Down 5-1. We've all been underestimated and counted out. In those moments, we felt like it was over. It's not looking good for Rafa. But it's when we're given no chance that we somehow found that last bit of strength to keep fighting. And then we did what no one thought we could, not even ourselves. We came back from the impossible. Being broken. If 
We found a way when it seemed hopeless. We came back when we should have been long forgotten. And we did it time and time again. Right now, we're fighting for something much bigger than a win or championship. But if we learn anything from sports, is that no matter how far down we may be, we are never too far down to come back. See, I think where we've gone with the last two shows is we talk about the comeback when we're broken. But I think what Kyle and Kaylee have given us is, the, is how do you actually do that? The three feet philosophy. Not dead, can't quit. Just don't quit. Do something that takes you out. It's, do something you're terrified of, step into it, and then do it again and again till it becomes comfortable. I don't know. I, I like the idea of all these clips, and I this this particular one is fascinating because it looks at all the champions of when they were under pressure and came back. But I think what we've illustrated the last two weeks with some really interesting guests is that the, the how the how do you do that? So if you were at footy with the kids and you're down at halftime, I think you now have a toolbox to talk to those kids to say here are the things you can concentrate on. Don't you reckon? Oh, totally. I mean, I've had a toolbox for years just from this show, but yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's so much inspiration in both those shows to talk about. Now, one one last thing. This is something that the speech I did this week virtually to these CEOs, the title was, how do we bounce back after the virus? And I said, well, my opening was, I just don't think it's the right way to look at it because to bounce back means you're bouncing to a certain point. So you've gone backwards, but you want to get back to that certain point. But what I took from that clip with LeBron is it's about a comeback and a comeback is getting you to come back to a certain point, but it's a part of a journey. Now, maybe it's kind of a playing on words, but I think bouncing back means I'm going to where I was. Mm. It's about mindset. Yeah, and I find that an example for me right now is Elon Musk. And he was forced to stop down because of the virus. But he actually, <laughs> you got to love him for it, big fan of the show. Hi, Elon, and all the team there. Uh, he, he opened when he probably shouldn't have opened because he didn't see it as a, as a bounce back. He just saw it as a blip on the way to a much greater dream. And where I'm going with this is you would have heard under that LeBron piece from Nike, the song there was Is There Life on Mars by Bowie, which is one of my favourite songs from the album Honky Dory. But then it made me think of Elon Musk. He's not bouncing back. It's not like no. we're bouncing back to a certain point. It was just that was a damn blip. We've dealt with it. Yeah, now let's move on. <laughs> let's move on to Mars, <laughs> don't you reckon? Oh, absolutely. But it's that same story that I always tell the boys at footy, speaking of coaching, is your the one you taught me is if you have a fallback plan, you plan to fall back. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's the same thing about mindset, isn't it? It's like, okay, I, 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 I've got one way to go and that's forward and that's the way we're going. So with all that, uh, I think we should wrap this up. Yep. Good show. 
Bowie, Is There Life on Mars from the album Honky Dory? And we're out. It's a god awful small affair to the girl with the mousy hair. But her mummy is yelling no, and her daddy has told her to go. But her friend is nowhere to be seen. Now she walks through her sunken dream to the seat with the clearest view. And she's hooked to the silver screen But the film is a sad thing for For she's lived it ten times or more She could spit in the eyes of fools As they ask her to focus on Sailors fighting in the dance hall Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the basement of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. 
To help us get better and give more people the opportunity to touch up their mojo, you can now find us on Patreon. Follow the links on the front page of our website, and for a coffee or two a month, you'll get regular bonus material and a copy of Explosive Hits 19, the best of the Mojo Radio Show. In the meantime, to polish your next audio production, check out voodoosound.com.au. For more about Gary, see garybirtwhistle.com. And to book me, go to andrewpeters.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.